Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Um, you know, we've all got a lot of stuff going on in life, haven't we? We've all got a lot of things, challenges, and we're all facing different battles at different times. Some, sometimes you can go through a season and everything feels like it's pretty smooth. And then other times there's things that are occupying your mind, and whether it's your finances or health or relationships or concerns for your future or family, there's things that can preoccupy us. And often it can feel like we're fighting battles. You know, and sometimes we're actually fighting them on the wrong playing field because, you know, we're often thinking, well, oh, it would be all right if this was fixed or that was fixed. And we're looking at all the external things, and if they were all sorted, we'd feel better. And yet I think for most of us as believers, we know that's not the truth. Actually, trying to fix those external things is not where we start. And what we would do in our business, um, there's, there's a guy called Stephen Covey, you may have heard of, he's written that, that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, and we use just one of the tools that he, he talks about there. And he says, about, like, everyone's got this big circle of concern. Okay, so in life, we've always got loads of things that concern us. And it could be, you know, health. During the pandemic, it was all like, oh, what's going to happen? What's my future going to look like? What's my job going to look like? What's, you know, when will I be able to get to see my family again? All of those kind of things. There's loads of things that concern us in life. But there's a smaller amount of things that we can have influence over, isn't there? So we could get concerned about everything, but there's only a certain amount of those things we can have influence over, and there's an even smaller amount of things that we can actually control. And when it comes to looking at those things we control, it's basically ourselves, how we show up, what we think about, what we do, how we behave. What, you know, that's our, how we handle and manage our emotions. That's what we can control. And then there's some things that we can have influence over, and then there's a whole lot of things that concern us, but actually some, some of that stuff we just can do nothing about. And you know, the whole idea, the Stephen Covey idea, is actually just put your energy, because we've only all got a certain amount of energy, only put your energy into those things that you can have influence over, because you know you could worry all the time about who the next politician's going to be, or whatever might be the thing that's worrying you. But if you can't actually affect that every day, then just put your energy into things that you can influence. And I was thinking, you know, the incredible thing for us as believers, actually, is that we can have influence over a lot more things that concern us than people in the world, okay? Because they could be concerned about a whole lot of things, but actually, unless they physically or, you know, can do something about it, it's not going to change. But as believers, through the power of prayer and through proclamation and confession of God's word and you know, partnering with the Spirit, we can see things change. And I was thinking about, you know, just... Incredible things. One of the things for me growing up, um, I was studying um, for my GCSEs. I, d I loved languages and I did French and German and then I went on to do French and German A-level. And one of the brilliant, incredible things that I saw, this is showing a bit my age now, was when the Berlin Wall came down. Hands up, who remembers that? Yes. Hands up, all of, all of you younger people. I was actually Googling it today. It happened in 1989, okay? And because it happened, hey, do, were, you, were you born then? <laughs> He was minus three. Oh, my word. That is so scary. Okay. Well, because it had literally just happened as I was doing my A-levels, it, it was the thing that you were going to get asked about in your oral exam. You know, that you know, they, they talked to you about current affairs. So I remember the word. It was Vida Vereinigung. I used to feel really proud of myself. Oh, the Vida Vereinigung, which meant the reunification. Um, actually, it's a wee funny story. Whenever I first met Andrew, I used to... To teach him German because we were living in France. This is how we first met. We were both doing uh, teaching assistants. He was learning French and 
He was doing French and business degree. I was doing a French and music degree. He gets sent off um, to that country to live for a year. So that's how we met each other. We were both living in the same um, accommodation with students. And so we had German students living with us. And I used to say, like, oh, I could teach you a bit of German. Because like, the Germans were really good, like, brilliant at languages. So they, their English was absolutely brilliant. But sometimes at breakfast, we were always really quiet because everyone was just too tired to kind of talk to each other in French. So you got, like, a, a mixture of all the different languages, whatever you could sort of remember. Um, but I used to tell Andrew, like, you should say this to them, say that. So the one thing I taught him to say, do you want me to tell them? <laughs> so I have to go there. Because what I love about German is that it's so kind of graphic. They just say things as it is, right? So they have this brilliant word for diarrhea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's called Dirkfall, which means fall through. Like, how, how horrific is that? And then the, the word for constipation was Verstoppung. <laughs> you can kind of guess, can't you, from how it sounds? So I used to say, like, um, we should tell them Ich habe Dirkfall. That's like a good, a good thing to say. And <laughs> I think one of the things I taught Andrew to say was, um, I, have, I have diarrhea. How, could, how, how, how do you get to the hospital, please? <laughs> Anyways, that was my bit of, bit of German, so along with that and Vida Vereinigung. But where, where, what is this all about? So we've got loads of things going on in life, loads of things that concern us, haven't we? But there's only a small thing that we can influence. But the Vida Vereinigung, why I was going to tell you that, was because people prayed. People, for, I didn't realize this at the time, but looking back and doing a bit of research, there was people praying for years and years and years to see those walls came down, and they literally came tumbling down. Isn't that fantastic? You know, so people, they literally had a physical, a lot of us have walls, you know, and things that we feel are barriers in our lives. They literally had a physical wall that was stopping them from, you know, being united with their, fa with their family, their, the, the German family. And it came down because people prayed and believed and declared things and that wall came tumbling down. And I just think that's incredible that we can see breakthroughs, but for most of us, we don't see as many as we want to see. Isn't that right? And then we, we go into this thing of like, how does all this happen? And, you know, God, what do I need to do? And we're here versus like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, we know that verse from Hebrews 11, 6. And then we kind of go, oh, gosh, is it about faith? And do I need to have more faith? And then what we know in Romans um, 12, 3, it tells us that we've all been given that measure of faith. And then so we kind of go, right, we have faith. But it's like faith is this muscle that we kind of need to use because, the, you know, we all know, like I know there's times that I haven't been using certain muscles very much and I go for a walk in the mornings and then I'm like, oh, gosh, yes, I remember those muscles, you know. And then so how do we activate this faith? We know in, in Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's this thing of hearing and I think the original translation, it's to hear and to hear it again and to hear it again. It's not just this one-off thing that, oh, I heard about that. But it's actually this becoming a part of you, that the truth of God's word actually becomes part of who we are. You know when you talk, you know when you're around people a lot, sometimes you can start to pick up their accent. I mean, if I go back to England now, everyone thinks I sound Irish over here. People still think I sound English. But it's just like I've been around you guys a lot. When I first came over here, I worked on the Shankle Road. None of the kids understood a word that I said. I had to, I was working in a nursery, and they would all come up to me saying, I want a bake. And I was like, a bake? A bake? <laughs> a what? And they're talking about the peelers and the windies, and I had no, it's like, dictionary. <laughs> what is this? 
But so I had to change the way I said things. I, I remember teaching the word in P1. I had to teach the word can't. But they were all like, what? What? <laughs> so I'd say, can't. You can't do this. Because just certain things just didn't translate. But it's like, if it becomes part of us, that's how we sound. When the word becomes part of us, that's just who we are. So the, the word of you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. And so what we need to recognize is that we've got all of this stuff going on, the stuff that concerns us, but the greatest battle is going to be fought in our minds. It's not going to be fought out there trying to make things right. It's going to start with how we, th- how we think about things. And if you've been coming along to the Bible studies, and hopefully when we get the podcast done, if you haven't been able to be part of those, we'll, we'll be able to, um, you'll be able to tune in on the podcasts. But we know that, you know, as you think in your heart, so are you. You know, we know that verse in Proverbs 23, 7, as you think in your heart, so are you. So you think things and it creates feelings in you that then influence how you behave. And it's those three things. You think it, you feel something, you have an emotional response, and then we act upon that. So we need to look at what are we thinking about? If you know, the Lord's telling us as we think, so we are, so we act, what is it that we're thinking about? And there's so many things, isn't there? You know, Ryan and I were talking this morning, he was on a, you can ask him later on, him and Ruth were in a floating tank yesterday where everything stopped and life was still and you could actually hear your own heart beating and, you know, hear your thoughts, literally. And it's like, sometimes when we want to stop and just be with the Lord, all it feels like is our mind is just going crazy, isn't it? So many thoughts going on, we're thinking about our future, we think about our kids, we think about our friends, we think about what's been happening in the day, we think about relationships, we think about work, we think about our health, we think about getting older, we think about changes and life and so many different things. And it's all those external things again. And then times bad news can come in, could be about our health, it could be about being laid off at work. And what do we do? You know, before there's even an emotion, before there's an action or before there's even an emotion, there's thoughts that go off. Often we sort of tr- sort of work it out when we feel something emotionally. But before, before we've even had those emotions, there's thoughts going off in our heads. And we start to think, well, what's the future going to be like? You know, we start to think, what's, what's going to happen? Maybe we start reading things on the internet, particularly if it's health things, which is often a nightmare, isn't it? Maybe ask others or we'll maybe just keep it into ourselves. But our thoughts are going probably at crazy 100 miles an hour. And I was reading this thing by a psychiatrist, and he said, um, you know, often people struggle with anxiety, and they see this as being a result of their circumstances, so I'm anxious because this is happening. And it was interesting, he said, anxiety, while often related to events, is not produced by events. Rather, anxiety is produced by the individual. And I thought, that sounds a wee bit harsh. But then when I, when I read a little bit more, I realized, actually, this is something that can be really liberating when we start to realize this. It's not the circumstances that are causing the anxiety, it's our response to those circumstances. And so this is what he said, and he was um, a psychiatrist who worked with patients in, a, in palliative, palliative, palliative care, I can't say that word. <laughs> um, but he said, I emphasize to my patients that the production of anxiety is his or her responsibility. That puts anxiety within the patient's control. I thought, isn't that brilliant? Because if you realize it's your responsibility, but then actually you can control it. You're not at the mercy of it. There is something that you can do. And he says patients diagnosed with cancer or, or a, a terminal disease or you know, a life-threatening disease, 
may or may not share his or her thoughts with others, yet it seems clear that the thoughts are frequently present and patients have the choice of dealing with them, magnifying them, or focusing their attention elsewhere. Now, this is not a Christian, but I thought even the fact that we actually get to choose to deal with them, or we can magnify them, that's basically our choices, isn't it? We can let our minds go into a spiral and think, oh my goodness, and obviously I'm not in any way trying to um, make little of those things because it's extremely difficult, but even people realizing that they have an ability to get through and actually they are not powerless in those situations. But even this is, this is somebody who doesn't know the Lord talking, how much more with God with us can we walk through those situations and have hope? So there's times we're going to be faced, and particularly with big challenges, but I think we kind of recognize, okay, you know, there can be really serious things that happen, loss, breakup, tragic events, serious illness. Um, and we recognize that we can choose how we react. It might kind of come and hit us in the face at the time, but probably once we, you know, steady ourselves, we recognize we, we, we can choose how we deal with those things and we can try and line our thoughts up with God's word and what he says about them and have hope and believe for better. But this, I think it's, it's the more subtle things which we probably struggle with. It's the everyday life with the smaller things where the thoughts are more subtle, where we don't actually realize that the attack is there. Because we have to recognize, you know, this whole talk is about taking down strongholds. And what we need to recognize is that half of the time when we're, we're talking about our thoughts, we're not actually conscious of the things that we're thinking about, or we're not deliberately thinking about them. So there's a thing called intentional thinking where we choose to think about things, and there's that unintentional or indirect thinking where our thoughts are just kind of racing away. And you know, half of your thoughts are on that autopilot. They're just, you're going about your day and thoughts are popping in and out of your head. And it's stuff that we've learned to do from when we were tiny, and it's, it's the way that God's made us. Because imagine if you had to think about every single thing that you were doing. Like, you know, as a kid, you know, when the, the little, literally even like getting up and learning not to fall over again and how to hold something, like a child is learning every single one of those skills. So imagine if for us now, you had to literally think, well, how do you put my foot in my shoe? And, oh, what's this like sort of moving through the room? And, oh, gosh, you know, can I, can, I, can I sit down on this? How low is it? If you had to think about all of those things deliberately, you'd be exhausted. You'd just stay in bed all day, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, that's far too much work. So that's why your mind has this autopilot. So there's lots of things that you just learn how to do it, and your mind knows what to do, and you just go with it. But because you, you're... It's a, it's a great pattern maker, your brain. So your brain's constantly making patterns. So it goes, okay, I understand this. I've done it before. I know what to do next time. If you think about how you drove here today, like how many people thought about getting here? How many people deliberately thought, right, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to put it into this gear. I'm going to, I'm just looking, going, I know Penny definitely didn't think about it. <laughs> she never thinks about her driving. <laughs> Actually, another funny story. When I was, I was out with Ben on his walk yesterday and, uh, when we got home, there's, there's this continual thing in our house about how I park the car outside the house. Because it is a shocker, to be honest. But, like, if you can park... I can't park that Land Rover anywhere, so I just give up. So Ben made me reverse and bring it back in. But when he tells me how to reverse, he's going, you need to go that way. So then I do exactly the same with the wheel. But apparently when you reverse, and you do the opposite or something? <laughs> it's a bit of a... <laughs> He's going, no, the other way. And I'm like, well, you told me that way. And, oh, horrendous. So anyway, so then I was thinking, if somebody just took me out for a day, like it would just be one day, 
to teach me how to park. That's, that's just what I need. And then I thought, Robert, that's why you've been sent to this church. <laughs> God, God sent you on a mission to teach me how to park. Because that's what I do. We just need what, but nobody else has the patience to do it. Anyway, so driving, we don't think about it. It just happens. It's that automatic pilot. So if you recognize in your head, they say research. Like, I don't know how they work this out. But they say roughly you're having 6,200 thoughts every day. Now, some of you are going, like, I'm having a whole lot more than that. Some of you are going, I probably have about 10, you know. <laughs> but um, all of those thoughts, but you have to re realize that half of those you're not consciously choosing to think about. It's just when your mind's drifting. But what's interesting, the American National Science Foundation says 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of, of our thoughts are repetitive. Isn't that interesting? 80% are negative. That's not because we're just negative people. It's because we're always scanning for danger. We're, we're scanning because we're, we're designed to protect ourselves. And just a few more facts. Things that we think about, we get we pessimistic. We focus on negative um, things and then we start to spiral. So we think on one thought and then it goes off and off and off and we spirals. We catastrophize, so we have a, a, a problem, but then we think of all the worst case scenarios and it goes on and on and on. What if, what if, what if? Or we ruminate, we get stuck on the same thought and it just goes on repeat. Just like, you know, when we, you know, God tells us to, to meditate, that thing to ruminate sometimes, like chew on the word, but often we're chewing on the wrong things and we're stewing on them and we go over and over and over. This is what happens, we get stuck. Or we become perfectionistic, perfect, perfectionistic, struggling with my words again. So we have these unrealistic expectations of ourselves and other people. And when we're hypercritical, we're never quite meeting the mark. What does that sound like? Never quite meeting the mark. We're always feeling like a failure. It's not like legalism. I just thought that's so much like legalistic tendencies. So probably all of you recognize something there. All of us, we're either pessimistic, we're either get st stuck chewing on things, we catastrophize, we're perfectionistic. We've all got these thought patterns. So 50% of your thoughts are based around some of those things. And the world says the likes of CBT, cognitive behavioral theory, reframe your thinking. So you think about your thoughts, recognize them, change them, because that's going to affect your emotions, which will affect your behavior. And then I actually love this. This is from another like, study I was looking at. It said, other helpful interventions to help you break patterns of negative thinking. And look at this. This is from the world. And see that, how it's all based, actually, in what God says. It says, practice gratitude. Be thankful. This is how you get over negative thinking. This is what psychology is telling you. I just thought, oh, my word. It's what God's telling us all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. It says, surround yourself with positive people. Why, do we, why does God tell us to get here every Sunday? Why is church important? Why is the fact that people sitting at home watching it on a screen is not cutting it? You know, what does he tell us in Hebrews 10, 25? We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. And then another thing the world tells us, the world tells us to do, to have an increasing awareness of negative self-talk and replace it. And what does the word tell us? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then other things, let go of, of negativity and practice self-compassion. What does the word tell us? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Everything 
that the world is finding us solutions. It's actually, it's all based in the word because Jesus knew how we were made, well, he made us and he knows what we're going to struggle with. So why is it that we battle all the time with these thoughts? It's because we have an enemy, isn't it? It's because the devil doesn't want us to prosper. He's going to do everything he can to bring us down. But the reality is Jesus defeated the devil, but the devil wants to deceive us. That's all he can do. He can deceive us. He can accuse us. He can say those things like, you don't meet the mark. You should have done that. You shouldn't have done that. That perfectionism that, we, that starts to, you know, start to play out in our lives because he's aware of how we work. And he doesn't know what, he, what we think, but he can put questions into our heads that make us challenge or take us away from believing the truth. And what's he, what does he tell us? Psychology will tell you that there's three things, the three lies that people believe. We talked about this in the Bible study. It's the three core beliefs that keep people captive. And those three things are, I'm unlovable, I'm helpless, and I'm worthless. And how far from the truth is that of what God says about you? you know, the, so if we have all of these things going on, all of these thoughts, 50% of the time, we're not consciously thinking about what, where our thoughts are going. But a lot of those thoughts are going to be based on lies if we're not careful, if we don't take them captive. And what does Jesus say when we're worrying? He says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So we know it's not good for us. We know he doesn't want us to do it. And he says to us, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's his heart for us. And what does he want us to do with thoughts? Just like I've said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's what God has given. He's given us this ability. We don't have to manage our thoughts. We can actually demolish them. You know, the world can show you how to manage your thoughts, how to manage your emotions. But Jesus actually wants to give you the ability to take down those things that are holding you back. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So it's not about having enough faith, but it's about dealing with the unbelief, with the false beliefs about who God is and about who we are in him. So we're going to look at a story in Matthew 8. So if you want to get your Bibles or get your phones out, and we're going to look at the story of Matthew 8 and how Jesus healed the leper. Okay? So it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, and he said, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. So why am I choosing this story, and what's this got to do with thoughts? This is kind of, you know, often when we've we hear these stories, we've kind of, we've heard them in the past, and yes, we know the man gets healed, and Jesus came, and he healed people, so he was just demonstrating who he was. But there was huge significance in this story, because the man with leprosy approached Jesus. That was massive, because leprosy that had a huge stigma with it, and it was synonymous with impurity and with divine punishment. It was a chronic, incurable disease, and it meant that you were unclean. And an unclean person was separated 
from their community. And it was, we often think, probably we sort of relate that to like COVID times, and of course you couldn't come near people in case you, you spread that. But actually, it was actually more about moral contamination than the physical, the medical side of it. It was like, oh, something wrong with you, and we don't want you to be part of us. So you, they were, people were ostracized. And I didn't realize how strong a stigma this was until um, I was doing a little bit of research and looking at how in the Old Testament people were in, inflicted by God with leprosy because it was, um, it was part of the curse. And so there's, there's a number of different um, illustrations of this. Miriam, you know, when Mo, um, with Moses, Miriam and Aaron complained about Moses and they grumbled and, you know, basically like we don't want him as a leader, like the state of, you know, what he's doing. And so in Numbers 12, as a result of that, as a consequence, Miriam, um, you know, was covered in leprosy. And, you know, that was like part of, obviously it, it went away again, but it was like almost a sign of like, you don't touch God's chosen one. Joab um, was cursed by David for um, killing the Abner, his rival. So again, the curse was he was given leprosy, so not great. Gehazi, do you remember this one? Um, so the story of Naaman, whenever Naaman was healed, and he had to go and wash in the um, river seven times, and he didn't want to go and do that. But um, Naaman's response was to, to, to give money, and um, Elisha didn't want that. But Gehazi, his servant, was kind of like, fair enough, you don't want it, sure, I'll take the money. And then the, the the consequence was Elisha said that you'll have um, leprosy. That was in 2 Kings 5. And then King Uzai, um, again, because of um, usurping priestly duties in 2 Chronicles 26. I sound amazing when I quote all these verses. I was doing research on this, but I didn't, I didn't connect all of this before. But again, he was um, given leprosy. So it was, it was known in that time that actually that was like a punishment from God. If you had leprosy, it was seen as a punishment. So how would you have felt if you were a leper? Would you have expected to get better? Would you have expected to come to God and receive healing if actually you were believing that this is what God had given you? Because in the Old Testament, there was judgment and there was punishment for sin and there was penalty for actions. But it made me think, how many people today are still living with that mentality? How many people today are still believing that there's punishment for their actions? How many of them are not recognizing that when they come to Jesus, that he's the one that's dealt with that? When we come, believe that he's died for our sins, that he's taken that away, that we can now be free. And the leper in that story that we're reading about, he would have grown up learning all about that. He would have known the Torah. He would have known that leprosy was part of the curse. So his thoughts about his condition would have been shaped by his environment. And he probably wouldn't have had hope for his future. He probably wouldn't have believed that it could have ever changed. He wouldn't have imagined anything difficult, different for himself because he was an outcast. And he wouldn't have thought that he could come to Jesus. So why did he approach him? What, what changed? He must have heard something new. Remember, we're talking today about our thoughts, about what we believe that affect our emotions, that affect our actions. He was able to change his thinking because Jesus came as a rescuer to free us from the penalty of sin. He came to be our savior. And as soon as he started his ministry, he showed that his new kingdom was completely different. He challenged what people believed. 
He shaped their thoughts. They were able to think differently. And you see straight away after Jesus has been out in the wilderness in Matthew 4, it tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And if we think, what was that good news that he was saying? We read in Luke 4, when he was in the um, synagogue, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then what's the result of this teaching? It tells us again in Matthew 4 that he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people were brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Isn't that amazing? People who were sick, people who were in bondage, people who'd believed that maybe they were like that because it was their own fault, were suddenly coming to this man to receive divine healing. Because their hearts were stirred, they were no longer in fear. They were no longer believing that they were shameful, they no longer believed that they had to be excluded. They'd taken that old belief and suddenly there was a new thought, a new belief saying, do you know what? I think I'm accepted. I think I'm forgiven. I think I've got a second chance. That's what Jesus came to, to declare. And what were people's emotions? Suddenly they had these new thoughts about themselves and then they had new emotions. They had hope rising up on the inside of them. And then what, what resulted in them? people came and approached Jesus because there was hope in their hearts. So this man with leprosy, what did he hear? What was it that he heard that made things different? If you read a few chapters before in Matthew 5, you get the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they're going to inherit the earth. And how was this man feeling this leper? I think he would have felt rejected. I think before he heard those words, he would have thought, felt beaten down, downcast and lowly. And yet he hears, blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't matter how low you're feeling because you're going to be blessed. He said, blessed are those who mourn. This man probably mourned a lot for, for his life, what he thought it was going to look like, what it was now looking like, what his future was like, what he'd had to give up, given up all contact with probably family and friends. He'd, he'd mourned a lot. And suddenly he was told he was going to be comforted. He'd felt meek. He would have felt unworthy. He'd felt like he didn't deserve anything, that he couldn't go any lower. And suddenly he's been told he's going to inherit the earth. This is good news. And then what does he hear in Matthew 7? If you just think of this journey this man's been on, I think it's incredible. Because in Matthew 7, he's hearing, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. And you know what I love is Jesus didn't say, ask if you've been really good. <laughs> you, know, we just, I, you know, I just think so often we just read those things and, and we don't qualify it. He doesn't say, ask if you didn't sin. He says, ask. That's all. He says, ask. And then he says, for everyone, he asks. Everyone. Everyone. Every single person, every one of us here can go to Jesus and ask. And it says, we'll find. And if we knock, the door's going to be open. And then I love this next bit. 
this is what this leper's hearing. Like this, this had to be something that he heard that made him change his perception of why he could approach Jesus, of why a leper could go and reach out, why somebody unclean could go to somebody who was clean, a teacher of the law, a, a rabbi. Why did he believe he could approach Jesus? What did he hear? The Sermon on the Mount says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, don't you love those words? How much more will your Father in heaven good gifts, give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you've done what you don't what have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets i love the way jesus takes those extremes don't you if you want bread would he give you a stone if you want fish would he give you a snake like you know as parents i know there's some days where i'm going right girls come on yes we've only got like the moldy piece of bread for packed lunch today i'm sorry oh, that's just what you have and that was not very exciting in the fridge sometimes you may be yes the coleslaw's two days out of date but it's not going to kill you just eat it <laughs> all i ever say in our house it's fine I, there's a standing joke in our house because i do tend to eat things that are slightly out of date because seriously like ben is literally if it goes past midnight you'll die if you eat that seriously mom i'm not taking any chances so all i say is like if I'm not here in the morning, you all know it was a cold storm. <laughs> it's literally, it's always cold storm. I really like cold storm. <laughs> and nobody else takes a chance, so. But I'm, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> still here. So if, if I'm not, you'll know it was a cold storm. But it's that catastrophizing again, isn't it? That negative thinking. Because how many times do we go to those extremes in life? How many times do we dare not to believe God? And do we literally expect a stone? I think that happens so much. And we, we honestly think that God would do that for us, that he would treat us in that way, because we, we don't have this full picture of who he really is. And we don't believe in his goodness. We settle for less. We aim for nothing, because then at least we won't be disappointed. You know, how many times have we told her things this? Have we repeated the same things over and over? It's become part of our default thinking. And do you know what Jesus does? He disputes this because he says, seriously, is that what you think of your father in heaven? You know, and I love this because we, we would use this in the business, this, this whole thing of dispute your thinking. And that's what secular psychologists will tell you to do. You know, if, there's, like, if you think in a certain way, well, how useful is it? Is it helpful to think like that? Is it logical? Is there any evidence for it? So challenge yourself and think something differently. This is what Jesus was telling us to do. This is all comes from the word. It's like, seriously, is that what you think of your father in heaven who's given you everything? You know, if you, though you're evil, can treat your children well, how much more will God want to give his spirit to those who love him? He wants to give us good gifts. We don't earn them. We don't deserve them. He gives it to us because he's good. And it's to those who ask, that's all we need to do. You know, and for some of us, we don't find asking easy. You know, some of us feel like we're, we're putting on people. But God loves us to ask. He, he calls us to ask. He wants us to ask. Sometimes we just are afraid. It's maybe not going to work out. We're afraid of being made a fool of. This happened to us the other year with Ben in France. 
We were trying to teach, we were trying to encourage him to use his French because he was doing his GCSE and we were like, oh, we're in France, Ben, this is a brilliant opportunity. You can go and ask for the baguette today for breakfast. And you know, if you know Ben, he's slightly awkward anyway, he doesn't like to be embarrassed. Everything's embarrassing, breathing's embarrassing, standing next to your parents is embarrassing. This is like walking down the roads, embarrassing. We used to crack up because see when he was in surgery, you know they do that subject in school. I'm sure if you're a teacher, it is useful, but it's hard sometimes to work out how useful it is. That learning for life, get it? Sometimes the things they're teaching the kids is not helpful. Ben, come home. Mom, you shouldn't go on at me because I actually have social anxiety. He's like, what? Well, I do. I have social anxiety. That's why I get embarrassed Like when I'm with you and Dad because you're just embarrassing. It's like, Ben, you're just a really annoying, awkward teenager and you'll grow out of it. You don't have social anxiety. Let's just get over that. So you don't need to be labeled. You're just awkward. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, if you're going to be labeled, let me give you the label. <laughs> but, but sometimes putting things in teenagers' heads doesn't help them. I have to say that sometimes it doesn't help them. It actually intensifies it. It magnifies it. So for Ben, it was just magnifying his already slightly awkwardness. Um, so yes, so that was, that, was a, that was an example of my great parenting. You don't have social anxiety. You're just awkward. If anyone's going to give you a label, let me give it to you. <laughs> Only joking. I love him, really. So anyway, this was so asking things. So Ben, so we told him to go and ask for a baguette. We're like, Ben, it's not hard. Just... Bonjour, je voudrais un baguette. I'm brilliant at languages today, aren't I? <laughs> My French and German's coming out rightly. I can say about three things. No, so like all you need to say, I would like a baguette. Here's the money, whatever. Get your confidence up because he had to sit through his oral exam and like this will be great. But isn't this the day when there's a whole range of baguettes? <laughs> and they've got <laughs> baguettes with special grain, demi baguettes, whatever. So he goes and he says his phrase. And the man's like, ah, oh, we miss you, or yeah, uh, you know, whatever. Um, Kel baguette, and then starts to ram off all these baguettes. So he just comes running home with his two, two euros. I'm not doing that again. I'm never doing that again. We're like, okay, okay, all right, okay. There was just a few more baguettes. It's fine, it's fine. So I don't know how we managed to, but literally, a couple of days later, we had them all. You can do it, Ben. It's fine. Just say whatever type of baguette it is. Baguette, I don't know, regular or whatever it was. It'd be no problem. Here's the two euro. So off he went again, bless him, <laughs> off to the shop. Where there's no, we gave him a note. That's right, we gave him a 10 franc note, 10 euro note. Wasn't that the day they didn't have any change? <laughs> so he says, I like whatever. They say no problem, give him the thing. He, he pulls out the 10 euro note and they go, oh, on a pas de money. He's like, money, money, money. I'm giving you money. The French word for change is money. And he's like, I'm giving you money. And they wouldn't take it off him. And comes running back again, no baguettes. That was a disaster. <laughs> so, but the thing is, Ben didn't want to ask because he didn't want to be made a fool of. He wanted to protect himself. But sometimes we don't ask because we don't want to be made a fool of. We're afraid. Can I dare to ask for that, God? Am I really... Can I really believe that you would be that good for me? We don't want to be made a fool of. We want to protect ourselves. We limit things. But we need to have a correct view of God because remember what this man was hearing, this leper, because Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So we've got to hear these words. Remember, faith comes by hearing. We've got to hear them and hear them and hear them. And then we've got to act on it, haven't we? So we've got to hear so that our thoughts are transformed, so that our emotions change, change the way we think and feel about the Lord and about his promises towards us. And then we've actually got to act. We've got to believe that the words are true. And part of the action is actually believing in the truth. We've got to start to change those beliefs so that we, our emotions turn to hope, to confidence, and then we're going to act differently. So when those storms come, and it can be, we all know what storms can look like in our lives. We don't allow the default thinking to take over because otherwise we just go back to, oh, this, we know this situation, we've been here before, we try and, um, you know, we've experienced it before and all those same emotions come back. And that's what, not what the Lord wants for us. So I want to leave you this week with a challenge. First thing is to start to capture those thoughts, isn't it? Because a lot of it, when it's default, it's just going on in the background. It's just like it's playing there in the background. That kind of, you know, that annoying lift music that you know it's there and it's kind of irritating you, but you just kind of live with it. I think it's time now to go, no, I know it's there, but actually, what's wrong? <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> we actually need to start taking hold of it. Because what was the language that was used in Second Corinthians? It's we demolish strongholds. That's not kind of like, oh, I'm not thinking that. It's actually going, no, hold on a minute, Lord. This is not who you say I am. This is not how you want me to see myself. I am not helpless. I am not worthless. I am not unlovable. Think of those three things. That's what that leper would have thought about himself. He would have thought that he was helpless. What can I do about this? This is never going to change. He would have thought he's worthless. This is what I deserve. He would have thought I'm unlovable. How could anyone love me like this? But that's a complete lie. Because God says you're loved, you're accepted, you've been chosen. So we've got to take down those lies. We've got to take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And it's funny, you know, how do we do that? I, I was listening to a podcast this week by Caroline Leaf, Dr. Caroline Leaf. I don't know if any of you listen to her. She's a neuroscientist, but she's Christian, absolutely phenomenal um, work on thoughts. And she does this thing, um, podcast you can listen to, it's called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. I'd advise you to go and listen to the, some of the stuff she says, but it's brilliant. But she's talking about disruptive thoughts. And I, it was funny, I was talking to Ryan just before the service, and he was saying about the, the, the tank and everything and, and getting that time al alone with your thoughts. And sometimes when you just want to, you know, just have, like, chill time or just get time to think, sometimes then it's when all these thoughts pop up that we don't want to hear. And I used to think as well, that it was like, oh, try, try to stop thinking about that. That's, that's maybe taking me to a wrong place. But she's actually saying those disruptive thoughts, actually, it's not about trying to push those down or just get rid of them and think something different because that's actually your body's way and, and God, the way that God's designed you to go, okay, this is bothering you. It's down there. That's why it's coming up because it's bothering you. And rather than just trying to not think about it or push it out of the way, it's actually whenever it comes back, that's the time when you get to change it because this thing of neuroplasticity, of how the brain changes, it's actually when it comes back, that's when you can reframe it. That's when you can go, okay, I might have thought that, but actually I don't have to see it this way anymore. I can actually now shine God's light 
into this thought and I can think about it differently. And that's how we take captive the thoughts. We recognize them. We go, okay, that might be how I'm thinking. That's not what God says. That isn't actually true. And now that this thought has come up, rather than trying to, what's that thing, Andrew, you talk about there? Where you're hitting things, whack-a-mole, when you're going, oh, I'm thinking that again. Don't think that. I'm thinking that one again. Oh, no. And, and you're like mental gymnastics. You're freaking out because all these thoughts are going on that you shouldn't be thinking. And you have got to think new thoughts. It's actually let them come up because God's going, right, this is there. But hold on a minute. It doesn't need to stay there. And actually, don't just think, oh, go away. Think, right, okay. Lord, you shine your light into it. And now I choose to see that situation differently. And actually what she says is, because there's a whole load of neuroscience around it, that actually that thought and all of the emotions attached to that thought then start to change so that no longer are you held by that. But actually, because our thoughts actually create things like physical matter within our brains. So it actually starts to come undone, whatever we have like held on to. Or whenever those thoughts bring pain or hurt, actually that starts to get broken down and it can be reframed into something different. And that's how we start to change those habits of thinking. Because just like those habits that we have in how we get dressed and drive and whatever, we've got them in our thoughts as well. But there's some thoughts that are good for us and some that aren't so good. And God wants to free us because I love that verse. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We have been set free but most of us are walking through what that looks like. And God wants us to walk into all of that freedom. And it's, it's by grace that we've been saved. We can't earn this. We don't deserve it. But so we don't want to have these thoughts that are keeping us in bondage. We can't control lots of things in life. But one thing, remember the circle of control, there's loads of things, circle of concern, lots of things going on. So much things we can influence. But the one thing that we actually can control is our thinking. And, you know, Jesus said, or what the word says, as a man thinks, so he is. But Jesus says, you know, he's put before us life and death and he wants us to choose life. And that's my heart for everyone and myself today. Let's choose life because that's what God has for us. So the last song, and the worship guys are going to come up in a minute, and Adam, if you want to come and lead communion in a second. But the very last song that we're singing, and it's actually, we haven't sung it in ages, but I think it's so beautiful. It's called Run to the Father. And that's where you're going to run this morning. That's where I want you to run into his arms because he wants to bring freedom for you. So let's um, let Adam come up now. Thank you. Penny, thanks so much for that. Um, you know, I was sitting there thinking during that that how, how you approach God this morning is of the utmost importance. How you see yourself as you approach him. Um, that was such a good insight into the leper of how much he was feeling, what he experienced. And yeah, you may say, no, I, well, I'm, physically I'm not a leper, so you know, that doesn't really work for me. But there are moments when you feel unlovable, when you feel helpless, and when you feel worthless. And if you deny that, you're kidding yourself. There are moments that we feel like that in whatever sphere we're in. So please can stand on your feet. I want to take communion. I want to respond to this just as we then go into that song. Jesus said three words in that story with the leper. It's one, it is one of my favorite stories in, in scripture. And the three words are, I am willing. I am willing 
to work in your life. I am willing to allow you to approach me. The wonderful thing about God is the leper had strength to approach God, but what had happened is God had given him that strength because in Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7, he'd heard the words of Jesus. So if you need strength to approach God with whatever's going on in your heart today, God gives you the strength. It's the incredible thing. He gives you the strength to approach him. So we say, Jesus, thank you for your body, broken for me, that I can have a life of wholeness. And you look at me with eyes of love and you say, I'm willing to move in your life and move in your situation. So we take and we eat. Thank you, Jesus. We take the cup. Again, the shedding of blood is for the forgiveness of sins that we walk in wholeness. We are forgiven, redeemed forever. And that's why we can boldly approach the throne. So as you drink, boldly approach whatever's going on, Jesus, you're working in it. And I see it in the waiting you're working. Thank you, Lord, we drink. So yes, please respond in this song to what you have heard from the Lord today, what Penny has spoken, what God has spoken through her. We will take our offering in the middle of this last song. As we say every week, you will never hear about money before you've heard about Jesus in this church, and that is the way it will stay. So please respond um, in your worship and your giving as well, because he's good and he's your provider. We encourage you to give generously. So yeah, we'll respond as we worship. Um. Amen.